0: you to spring forward sunday um if you manage to make it here and figure out how to set your clock forward and all that if you navigated all that then you get a special room in your in your castle or your, your whatever your special jewel in your crown you get extra points i guess for being here this morning if anybody walks in at 11 thinking that it's 10 if it's a visitor, we'll just press on. If it's a regular and I have my wits about me, we may just act like we just started. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Let's see if I can navigate that. With no snickering. Um, because we're few this morning, uh, I want to make the point, point. I shared in our beginning um, passage that I read from Psalm 34, I don't want to waste the morning. I, I really believe with everything in me that we're here by divine appointment, and I'm hoping that that um, in some ways we'll stand on holy ground in how we spend these next few minutes, considering the nature of our God. I'm going to pray this morning for Bethlehem Baptist Church and our, another church in our community. Let's pray. God, we are thankful. Uh, we're thankful that we're here. We're thankful that you have given us another sunrise, another morning. Lord, we are thankful that we can gather uh, freely and enjoy you. Uh, Lord, we um, don't want to take that for granted the freedom that we have to worship you in our country. Lord, we want to pray for another church in our community. We want to pray for Bethlehem Baptist Church uh, here in town. Lord, I, I don't know who the pastor is at, the, at this time or uh, if, if the pastor has a family, but Lord, I, I want to lift up this church and her leadership. Lord, I pray that you would uh, bless Bethlehem Baptist Church. I pray that you would guide them. I'm thankful that we uh, can call them, even if we don't know their names We can call them our brothers and sisters right now as we pray for them and lift them up. We're lifting up family. Lord, I pray that you would uh, be glorified through the work that's going on there, through the teaching and preaching of your word, through the worship, uh, that the saints are equipped and that they're walking with you during the week as salty, bright, aromatic people. Lord, I pray for how we spend these next few minutes. I pray that we will be equipped as well to enjoy you. I pray that we will be equipped in some ways with the basis for unity what we hold on to as we walk in unity as the church. I'm giving this time to you, Lord, and trusting it to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The oldest among us was born during the Great Depression, June of 1934. The next oldest was born in October of 1935. Franklin Delano Roosevelt was the president. The youngest among us, Atlas Kelso, was born March 1st at 11:37 a.m. The second youngest, Elliot Elizabeth Daniel, was born the night before at 7:08 p.m. We have great diversity of age at point. Some were born and raised right here in Greenville. Most of us are at least from Texas. But we have people that have been born in other places and raised in other places and nearby places to start with, like Louisiana, Arkansas, Oklahoma, New Mexico. Then there are more distant places like Missouri, Wisconsin, California, New York, Ohio, Virginia, Minnesota, Washington State, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, and Colorado. But you didn't know all that. I didn't know it can add to this list of those who were raised in places that are away from Texas a good bit, uh, people that were born and raised in Germany, some who were at least raised in Belgium, and another who was raised in Moscow, not Moscow, Texas, Moscow, Russia. We are a diverse people. Some like to exercise, some like to read. Some like to watch movies. And some won't read the book if the movie is out. And at least one has only read Hank the Cowdog. (laughs) Maybe he's read another book or two since then. Some like horses, some like bikes, some like motorcycles. Some like cooking, some like eating. Some of us like to golf, some like to hike, some like to camp, some hunt, and some fish. Some of y'all were high school sweethearts. Some have been married for decades. Some have been divorced. Some are remarried. Some are single. Some have kids. Some have decided not to have kids. And some are working on having kids. And some some also, on top of that, can't stop having kids. (laughs) Some are real linear in the way they think. And others among us are artistic and creative. Some are quick witted, some are a little slow. Some are funny, and some are serious. Some are thinkers, and yet others are doers who can build and fix anything. Some are enthusiastic and optimistic, and others are melancholy and pessimistic. Some can't wait to get up in the morning, and others can't get up in the morning. Some are the life of the party, and some would rather die than go to a party. (laughs) Some of us grew up in Christian homes and, by God's grace, have not experienced the worst the world has to offer. And others have actually spent time in jail and have experienced the very worst the world has to offer. Some came to faith late in life. And others can't even remember if there was a time they didn't walk with Christ and his bride. Some of us eat paleo. Some of us eat a little bit, eat whole 30. Some of y'all are vegetarians, some eat wild game, and some won't eat wild game under any circumstances unless you hide from them that they just ate wild game at a meal at your house. Some can't eat gluten, some won't eat gluten, and yet others would eat fried gluten if there was such a thing. <laughs> if you go to the state fair next year, it'll probably be there, fried gluten. Some have no hair. Others have tons of it. We have folks with long hair, short hair, every color of hair, to include red hair. First I ever saw red hair I was in kindergarten. And the kid had red hair, and I told him, I said, your hair is the color of one of my crayons. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. I still do. We have folks with curly hair. We have folks with straight hair. Some have a hairline that's making a beeline for their behind. (laughs) We have all manner of styles in our church, hairstyles, to include the occasional but unapproved man bun. We have lots of girl haircuts that I don't know the names for. We have fades. We have at least one young lady that's working on some dreadlocks. And we also have at least one of us who has a full-fledged business-in-the-front, party-in-the-back mullet. (laughs) Some among us have a GED or a high school diploma, and at least one of us has a doctoral degree. We have some who can do little more than change a light bulb. And others are some of the most technically skilled people in the country working on some of the most cutting edge equipment in the world. We have Aggies, we have T Sips, I mean, uh, Longhorns, we have Sooners, we have Raiders, Yellow Jackets, Bears, we have Lions, we have a lot more mascots that I just didn't have the energy to research. Speaking of education, some are deeply burdened to homeschool their kids, and others want their kids in a structured school setting with other kids in public school, and yet others want their kids in a Christian school setting. Then a few do different things with different kids on different years, taking each year as it comes. Some of us are super tall. One of us, at least... One that I know of is six foot eight. And I'm not sure that, Steve, you're the winner, but I know that Steve mentioned he's six foot eight. And that we may, have, in fact, even have a whole family of giants here at Cross Point called the Wades. They're not here today, but I refer to them <laughs> as the Anakim and Nephilim. And then we have others among us who are quite petite. Some use oils and swear by them. And then others just go to the grocery store and buy labeled cleaners and medications. Some are strongly opposed to vaccinations and yet others strongly encourage them. Some are good with numbers and others are good with words. Some are musically gifted and others can't carry a tune in a bucket. Some understand computers and technology and others can't even navigate an iPhone. Some are business gurus and others can't hold down a job. Some are innovative, and some faithfully execute the same tasks every single day. We are a diverse people. Probably the most profound difference among us is that some actually prefer boxers, and others surprisingly prefer briefs. (laughs) I can't figure that out. The wise ones, I think the discerning among us, prefer boxer briefs. We are diverse people. I'm going to give Scott credit for that one. Credit or blame, I'm not sure which. We'll find out later. (laughs) We're an amalgamation of so many different stories, so many different experiences, so many different backgrounds and viewpoints. There are lots of opportunities for division, conflict, and disunity given that mix There are lots of reasons for us not to even venture off into doing life together. Think about it for a minute. But though our differences are legion, somehow here we are. Here we are. The Ephesian church, too, was quite diverse. If you would, turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. The Ephesian church was quite diverse, maybe even more so than we are. I can imagine what their list was like if they were to compile a similar list. Jews and Gentiles were the extreme opposites in their context. You cannot imagine two groups of people more different. Jews worshipped one God and Gentiles worshipped a pantheon of gods. And their lives, how they lived their lives made, I believe, our differences seem really small. It made for quite a wall of separation between the two Jews and Gentiles who were in the same church together. And yet Paul calls them to walk in a special otherworldly unity that Christ won for them. Just for the sake of context, I would like to read these first three verses. We will be spending our time this morning in the next three, verses 4 through 6. But I'm going to begin in verse 1 of chapter 4. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you, a church full of the most diverse people imaginable, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He called them to walk in a manner worthy of their calling, bringing into balance what was won for them. In light of the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, he calls them to walk in the next three. Walk in a manner bringing into balance the scales in humility, in gentleness, in patience forbearing one another in love and eager to maintain their hard-won unity. He continues this thought and this teaching on unity in the next three verses. Let's read them. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, And through all and in all. This is where we're going to spend our morning, considering these seven ones that are expressed in these three verses. There's seven of them. Seven of them, if you're paying attention. And these seven ones are expressed and centered around the three persons of the Trinity, starting with the Holy Spirit, then with the Son, and lastly with the Father. I was thinking about how practical last week's message was and how down to earth we're able to visualize what it means to walk in humility and gentleness, forbearing one another. Lots of it we had real practical stories, and it's hard to imagine now Paul has trans he has moved to the identity and personality and character of the Godhead to make sense of unity with one another. If you're curious right now, I hope you are, because he nicely explains. it all plays out. See, Paul sees the nature of God as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as so linked to unity that he doesn't even provide a transition word. I want you to notice the end of verse 3 and then how it moves into verse 4. You're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. There's no transition word. There's no therefore. There's no for. There's no well then. There's nothing that gives you an idea that he's made some sort of shift because there is no shift. It's one big thought. If we're going to talk the unity of the church and the unity of God's people in Paul's mind, inspired by the Holy Spirit, in Paul's mind... They go together. If we're going to talk about unity in the church, we have to talk about the unity of the Godhead. It is one big thought. It's important that you see this. I'll sort of capture it in in one one couple of sentences. In light of what God did for us in Christ, in reconciling us to our Creator and reconciling us to our brother, in light of that, we are to walk worthy of our calling in humility in gentleness in patience forbearing one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace there is one body one spirit one hope one lord one faith one baptism and one god and father overall through all and in all it's one big thought this morning we're going to spend our time sort of unpacking these seven ones I don't plan on spending a lot of time on each of them or any particular one. I want to spend enough time on these seven ones and then land, I think, where we should, given the point that Paul is making. The first one I want to deal with, though, is the one hope. It's sort of embedded within verse 4 there. You see it set off uh, sort of in the middle or the second half of verse 4. Just as you were called to the one hope... That belongs to your call. If you were paying attention last week, or if you read the passage or were paying attention when I was reading it just now, you see that Paul pointed them to their call. At the beginning of the passage, he reminds them of their call. And we considered last week that is one singular call. The call into relationship with our Creator is the same call as relationship into, uh, the call into a relationship with one another. It has a vertical aspect, but it's not only vertical, it's also horizontal. We're called into fellowship with one another just as we are called into restored fellowship with our creator. And this one call is the carryover into verses 4 through 6. I was thinking about it sort of like this. You've seen the movies or the TV shows. I'm thinking of Bear Grylls or one of these guys that might use one of these climbing ropes that has a grappling hook on it. Just imagine that in the first three verses we're standing on a block of ice floating Okay, We're standing here on a block of ice floating, but we have one of those ropes, and we have a grappling hook, and we see some earth. We see some real earth that we want to get to, so we throw this grappling hook over there, and it sticks the claws into the end of this earth, and then we start pulling our way over to this earth. That's what, that's what Paul is doing here with this first one, this call The call is the rope and the grappling hook that's tying the first three verses, this block of ice, to some real earth in verses 4 through 6. The call is pulling us together, pulling these passages together. And the point he's making here is with one call comes one hope. The Jew and the Gentile, the rich and the poor, certainly they must have had a mix, the tall and the short, the educated and the uneducated, all hope in one thing, the person and the work and the eventual return of our Savior. Whatever dramas they would have faced, whatever dramas or struggles we may face, whatever challenges they may have faced, whatever challenges or struggles we may face, we have our eyes on one thing. Hope, and that hope came with our call. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19 says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Maybe we'll call it a grappling hook just for the sake of connection. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. And that hope we know is the person of Christ. The diverse church clings to one hope that came with our one call. We have a multitude of vantage points. If you were paying attention this morning, a multitude of vantage points, but we're all looking in the same direction. We have fixed our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now, I want to deal with the remaining ones as they are unpacked or as they're mentioned in verses 4 first. We'll look at the first two. And then verse 5, we'll look at the next three. And then in verse 6, we'll look at the last one. So let's look at verse 4. There is one body and one spirit. First of all, one body. Paul is reminding them and encouraging them in this message and lesson on unity that we are part, they are part of an organic community of believers that includes the man who wrote this letter, Paul. We can speak about him like a guy who wrote a letter, some ancient letter 2,000 years ago, or we can speak about him and think about him like he's our brother. And the best way is the latter, because he is our brother, because we're part of one body. We're part of one body, too, with the ones who heard this letter read for the very first time. We're part of one body then with the people, the elders, likely Timothy being one of them, who walked them through then what Paul was teaching the church at Ephesus. Those are our brothers and sisters. We are one body. This is our family. That's why we can treat this timeless letter that was addressed to them 2,000 years ago by nature of our being one body with them as a letter that's addressed to us. That's why we can so quickly apply it to how we walk and how we move because we are one body living in the expanse of time. Time does not separate us. We are still one body. We are also one body, though, over the expanse of geography and culture and distance. We are one body with the growing church in China. Think about that for a minute. You have brothers and sisters that you have not met that we will spend eternity with, enjoying. Enjoying the Lord with them. Think about that right now. Numbers are being added to them every single day. We are brothers and sisters in one body with the suffering church in the Middle East. Those who are suffering and being martyred for their faith are our brothers and sisters, they're our family. We are one body with them. We are one body with the church in Scotland. You got to love that, right? I, Ireland, anybody else? It's the motherland. I enjoy that. We're also one body with our brothers and sisters in the Sudan who may be few and may have a very different Christian experience than we have. We are one body, too, with the church here in Greenville, which is why we pray for another church every Sunday unless we just happen to forget about it. We're praying for our brothers and sisters in the faith because we are part of one body Right here in Greenville. We are many churches. We are many even denominations. But we are one organic body of believers. Man, let's enjoy that and celebrate that. What binds us together is alluded to at the tail end of chapter 4 verse 3. Which mentioned last week. We're eager to, to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That's the next one that Paul presents here is one spirit there's one body and one spirit now the third person of the trinity here is who he's speaking about he's not speaking about some sort of atmosphere of camaraderie some of you guys are aggies or some of you guys have been to Aggieland. land my uh, family is a family of aggies not uh, every single one of them but most of them my dad and my two brothers and much to their chagrin i didn't get the aggie spirit I went to A&M, but the whole spirit of Aggieland thing, I just don't even know what that is. I mean, what? it's not a substance. It's not, a, it's not like a really being. It's not a real being that's floating around at, at, at Kyle Field. I don't know what it is. It's just sort of this spirit of camaraderie. That's not what we're talking about right here. We're talking about an actual being, a real being, not an atmosphere of camaraderie. But the actual presence of God in the person of the Holy Spirit in the church, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says this, For in one spirit, okay, reading a letter that was written to some of our other brothers and sisters in Corinth, also our family, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. There it is. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, tall or short, rich or poor, uneducated or not, curly hair, straight, bald, name it. All were made to drink of one spirit. That spirit is what binds us. We are one body and this one spirit is the spirit of God that animates us, that enlivens us and vitalizes us. So whether you are a child of the Great Depression or a flower child of the 60s, whether you were born here in Greenville Or grew up up in Moscow, Russia, or Texas. What binds this diverse people together is the Holy Spirit in one body. Over time and over space. Verse 5 presents our next three ones. One Lord, one faith, and one baptism. One Lord. Look with me just back at uh, chapter 2, verses 11 through 18. As I read this passage, I want you to look for the role that Jesus plays in this passage. I want you to pay attention to the point that Paul is making with this diverse church in Ephesus. And look at how central Christ is in this passage. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the the, the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Watch for the role that Christ plays in this. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, that's an emphasis that Paul is putting on this. He himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Man, this emphasis here on the one Lord as you listen is important as you listen to Christ's role in this passage you should hear it like the folks in Ephesus and realize he's making the point that you're not going to find salvation in Artemis you're not going to find salvation in Jupiter Juno Juno or Minerva not in Mars not in Mercury Not in Bacchus. You're not going to find multiple lords and saviors. There is one singular one. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. One Lord accomplished this work of unifying such a diverse people. That's important. And that one Lord is connected to one explanation of what He did. And that's the one faith, the next one. One explanation. There's only one. When Paul was writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy, he referred to it as the deposit. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Guard the explanation of what that one Lord did. Guard it. You may remember some time back and we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and I presented this deposit and this gospel and this faith as it's being explained here as a football. Some of y'all remember that? Keeping your eye on the football, here's the deposit. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. Here's the football I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you were being saved. If you hold fast to the word, the singular word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here's the football. Here's the faith. Here's the deposit. And there's only one, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then he gives a host of witnesses to the resurrection. Man, the one faith is so critical. The one deposit, the one football, the one gospel is so critical and so potent that Paul charges the church at Galatia. He says, if an angel flits in here, flies in here all shiny and presents something different than what I presented to you, then they are accursed. Man, you know what binds the church together? Man, it's one body It's one spirit. It's one son, one Lord. Okay, now we're on the fourth one. It is one faith. There's one story. And when you deviate from that gospel, you're no longer of us. When you add messy stuff to it that's not even in the Bible, that's not even stuff that's part of the football, you are no longer of us. You guys need that light? I don't need it. Man, that's an important... Point. there's one football one gospel one deposit one faith that unites us if you depart from it you are no longer with us there's one baptism 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 2 I think presents the spirit of this one We're not talking necessarily about the event of baptism as you are baptized into a pool. Uh, It's certainly a connection here, but I think we're talking more in a figurative sense. Listen to this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. You know the story he's referring to there is the Red Sea. And all were baptized... Into Moses, in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food. This is the type of baptism that I believe is being referred to here. Baptism is the rite of identification with your deliverer. It signifies union with that deliverer. That's why the Israelites, as Paul is referring to here, were baptized into their deliverer, Moses. Well, what unites the church, what unites us is that we're baptized into our deliverer, Christ. And this beautifully symbolizes our union with Christ. Listen to Romans chapter 6, verse 2. Do you not know yet another group of brothers and sisters? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death here union with Christ? We were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This baptism signifies our union with our deliverer in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. So whether you grew up in the church... Whether you have an album or your mom has an album of all your VBS pictures, <laughs> right? Over the years till you're like 15 and you're like the biggest kid in the room and then it's like, all right, it's about time you stop going to VBS. Whether you grew up in the church and whether the Lord has protected you from some of the worst that the world has to offer, whether you grew up in the church and never even said a bad word in your life, or whether you stared at the... Confined walls of a prison cell. What binds you together. Is one Lord who paid for your sins. Few or many. Few or many. One Lord. One faith. That explains his good. And fine finished work. And one baptism. That signifies our union with him by faith. And there's the final one of verse 6. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. A father is a unifying reality. You may not realize this. I was trying to think of an illustration of how a father unifies a family and how a family gathers around a father and we might be able to think of our examples but man I just could not help but think about Jacob and his family. If you read the book of Genesis, you know the sordid story. Chapters 28 through 30 where this family is born. And you're like, wow, what in the world? Jacob goes to his uncle Laban and he ends up falling in love with a gal named Rachel. And he works for Rachel's hand only to get the little switcheroo from his uncle. And he ends up with Leah, Rachel's homely sister. But then eventually he ends up with Rachel and then they are married the two of them are married and Leah starts having babies and Rachel can't have babies and and then before long Rachel presents her handmaiden named Bilhah to Jacob and says have some kids for me with my handmaiden and then Leah stops having babies after a while and then she presents her handmaiden Zilpah to Jacob and then Jacob one father with four wives gives birth to a family And it is a bizarre story. And it's a sordid family. Each of these boys, they end up having a girl as well. Twelve boys and one girl are so different. When you read Jacob's blessings for each of them, toward the end of his life, when you read these blessings, you realize this is a diverse family united by one father. Reuben, he considers unstable. Simeon and Levi, he considers violent. Judah, he considers as the ruling type. Zephelin dwells by the sea in fixed ships. Issachar is a strong donkey. What kind of guy must he be to be considered that? Dan is going to be a judge for the people. So he must be the wise judgment, the wise type who could judge the people. Gad is a raider. Asher is rich. Naphtali is the sensitive doe type. Joseph, we know his story. He's the fruitful type. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. And then Dinah, if you know her tragic story, is abused and broken and hurting. And this diverse family, though, they united around and gathered around and under one father One Father united them. So too, our Heavenly Father unites this diverse bunch. He is over all. He is an authority over every single one of us. He is through all. He works through us, through the good works that He's prepared in advance for us to walk in. And He is in all of us. Whereas one spirit dwells the body as we considered in these first two ones, one body and one spirit, here God the Father dwells in each of us in the person of the Holy Spirit. So whether you're the careful type or a dreamer, whether you're fruitful, ravenous, or abused and hurting, whether you're the firstborn loner, that can you get by with being alone and just doing life by yourself? Are the last born life of the party? Whether you come from a broken home or grew up in a caring, loving home, what binds us together in this one body in the church is one Father over all of us, working through all of us, who is in all of us in our various distempers, in our various dispositions and various personalities. These seven ones bind the church together. As diverse as we are, we have complete. Enjoy for a moment that he presented seven. You know, in the ancient days, in these times, the number seven represented the fullness, the fullness of something. We have complete and absolute absolute and full unity in the Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father, and what they have accomplished. Not a semblance, not partial, not figurative, but actual and real and complete unity in God in three persons. I have one point to consider now, and the second I want to present. As we consider and take our supper together, turn to Romans chapter 14. Is the last place I'm going to have you go this morning. Romans chapter 14. I think lots of conflict that we experience in the church and in our family comes with people expecting others to do life exactly the way you see it. And to see life exactly the way you see it. And to do life the way you feel like it ought to be done. A lot of conflict that happens in our marriage is where a husband is expecting his wife to see life just exactly the way he does. Our wife is expecting that of her husband. Man, we can impose that on people all the time. We've got to enjoy and appreciate that God has gathered in the church a very diverse people with a myriad, legion, stories and backgrounds and personalities Romans chapter 14 speaks to the room that we have within one body. Listen to this passage, Romans chapter 14, verse 1. As for the one who's weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, gluten, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Any of you that are vegetarians, I didn't say it, it said it right here. The weak person eats only vegetables. Man, there is so much room within this one body and this one spirit that's brought this one body together. Within this one faith, there's so much room for us to be different and still be unified. There's so much room within one body for some folks to homeschool their kids and other folks to send their kids to public school. There's so much room for these varied opinions, for some to vaccinate, for some not, as long as we're holding on to the same football That's what unites us, the one faith. And there's so much room for everything else. We're not called to be clones of one another. We're not called to uniformity. We're called to unity. So that we can celebrate our diverse backgrounds. Our very different personalities. Our very different takes on the world, our very different interests, our very different skills. And we can appreciate and celebrate that it's not just a matter of diversity, but those interests and those skills and those ways that we view the world take us into other places where others won't go with the good news of Christ. Man, isn't that a beautiful design? So we can celebrate each other instead of frowning on diversity within the church. We can enjoy the one body was bought by this one Lord. It's animated by this one Spirit. And as one family, we have one Father. And yet we can still be very diverse. Let me pray. God, I'm thankful for this story as we've considered the beginning of the morning, how different we are. Considering that we have a room full of people um, that just come from so many different backgrounds, that just see and do life so differently that we all hold on to the same faith. That we all, by faith, are united to the same Lord. That we've been baptized into our Deliverer. God, I'm so thankful that we have one Spirit that unites us across time and space and culture and geography and across town. God, that's good news. I want to be part of something like that. God, we enjoy this message of oneness and unity that you've given us in these three verses. I pray that we'll walk in it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and distribute the elements and I'll share the last point from John chapter 17. If you'd like to turn to John chapter 17 while we distribute the elements you can do that. i be awkward just for a couple minutes to uh, share some thoughts with you while you have the bread and the cup in your hand and have maybe a little one sitting next to you with the same, and you're thinking, uh-oh, I hope we can make it just for a couple minutes. Um, it's okay. If you have a spill or anything like that, then the dad or mom can feel free to grab more if you need that. I'm not going to talk for long, but uh, a lot happened over the Lord's Supper, like chapters worth in John happened over the Lord's Supper, and that's why I wanted you to have this in your hand because it's over the Lord's Supper, the very first Lord's Supper. It was a Passover meal that had been practiced for 1,500 years, but it was the very first Lord's Supper where he's saying, do this now, what you've been doing for 1,500 years, now do it remembering me. It was at this very first Lord's Supper that he prayed. Man, it is a beautiful prayer. It's the high priestly prayer of John chapter 17. And it's over this Lord's Supper as maybe they're holding a cup and a little piece of bread that he prays over a very diverse table. Fishermen, tax collectors, very diverse. Some are quiet. Some seem like, man, they just really knew when to hold their tongue and then others not so much. Like a guy named Peter. <laughs> very diverse table. Over this very diverse table... He prays this in chapter 17, the second part of verse 11. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one. I pray over this diverse people that they will be one as I, Father, and Son, as He praying in this context, are one. I pray that they'll be unified as we are unified as Father and Son. In verse 20, he gives more detail what he's praying. He says, I do not ask for this diverse table only. I do not ask just for these people. What's up here? (laughs) Man, all right, well, we'll just ignore that if we can. I don't ask just for these people, this diverse table right here, but for those who will believe in me through their football. I'm praying for those who 2,000 years later will be holding on to the same football that Paul preached 2,000 years ago. The same football that Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. That over this table, over this very first Lord's Supper, he prayed for us. And here's what he prayed. That they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. He's not just praying just for unity, just for this diverse table of apostles, disciples. He's not praying just for uh, unity, just for the diverse people in this room 2,000 years later. But there's a purpose and a point to it. And the point here is so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you realize what happens in a unified church? is the world looks at it and says, man, there's something awesome going on there. There's something different going on there. There's something going on there that I don't see in my workplace. I don't see in my neighborhood. I don't see anywhere else where this oneness and unity. Man, Jesus must have really been sent by the Father. Do you realize a unified church is an evangelistic church by being Unified? You realize we have an aroma in Greenville? Man, that's something to celebrate there. That should give you cause to work on unity. That the reputation of God is at stake. The personhood of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are at stake. Man, there's a lot to this unity thing. Walking in unity is evangelism. So let's pray for this over our diverse table I'll share our um, supper passage, and we'll take and eat and pray. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Take and drink in faith. Let's pray. Lord, I pray over this table the same prayer that you prayed 2,000 years ago over the first Lord's table. Lord, I pray for it a, a unity and a oneness that is so profound that Greenville and Hunt County and the surrounding areas, those who bump into the people of God at Cross Point, and really I can pray for our brothers and sisters and other churches in this community as well, that we would be so much a part of one another, that we would be so involved in each other's lives, Lord, that it would be a sweet aroma. Lord, that in that sweet aroma, that this community would see your character and your identity and the personhood of God, that this people would reflect Our God, God, that's a tall order. I pray that you would continue to work it in us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's continue in song.